Hi, everyone. We have an unusual and special guest. She is the general counsel of Silicon Valley, and many people have questions about uh, a journey uh, toward being a general counsel, uh, being general counsel in tech companies. Um, and I thought it would be great to invite my very good friend, Sangeeta, who, who one is an amazing person, a fantastic general counsel, and she has a gift for sharing. Um, so, Sangeeta, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, yeah, happy to. Hi, Olga. So, um, we are very old friends um, from probably four jobs ago. My name is Sangeeta Raghunathan. I'm General Counsel, Chief Compliance Officer, and Head of Government Relations for Earnin, which is a financial services uh, company based in Palo Alto, California. Sangeeta, tell us where you began your uh legal journey? I believe began my legal journey in like the exact opposite. Um, it was uh, doing IP and antitrust litigation at a, a firm for a LeBron and Martel um, based in San Francisco. It was just a wonderful firm, wonderful people. Um, and um, I started off, you know, just as an associate doing, you know, writing legal briefs and doing discovery. And I think I found out um, somewhat early in that journey that I, I really missed um, or I really was so interested in what happened after the briefs are written or the story of how we got to where we were. Um, and, and that really had piqued my interest in eventually moving to an in-house position. How we got to where we are. Uh, I love that's a deep question for a litigator. Um, I too started in litigation and at some point pivoted in-house. And in my experience, it's been one of the kind of more um, interesting pivots. Uh, it definitely required some intentionality. How did you go about going from litigation to in-house? My first in-house job was at Visa. And the reason I got that job was because while I had interviewed there to be antitrust counsel, um, I think a, a recruiter there had kind of had sort of the, the vision for me that Perhaps, you know, I could do something different at Visa besides antitrust. And so they had founded a privacy office there at the time, brand new. Um, two really extraordinary lawyers were running it. And I think they, they took a chance on me um, in terms of uh, hiring a lawyer who had never been in-house and didn't really know the first thing about privacy. But really, um, I think a willingness to invest in a younger, you know, a, a younger attorney, bring them up, you know, kind of. With the, with the idea that I could bring kind of the energy and passion um, to learn. Um, and, and it was really because they, they took a chance on me that I think it happened. And I'm, I'm always very appreciative to them. I have a very similar story. Um, <laughs> you and I worked with Visa together, yeah. joined around the same time. And that recruiter had a vision for me too. She really did do that. <laughs> yeah, she had a vision for me too. Um, I think there was two things. There was a combination of uh, the recruiter having a vision, but I also think the, the former general counsel had a, a, a kind of understanding that litigation skills are highly transferable. Um, and I remember having this conversation with Josh at the time. He, right. he very much believed that, and he felt that litigators, there's nothing a litigator cannot do. Um, and so I think that combined, I think that's how both you and I got that job. I think that's absolutely right. That plus, I think he and I were both Lakers fans. And so that, that sort of sealed the deal for me. But very much, I think he believed that, you know, you, 
that sort of analytical thinking, um, problem solving, and really being able to see around corners is what you need in in-house counsel. And so, you know, a person, people like us who had, you know, a good amount of training in that, you know, would be successful in an in-house world. Sangeeta, let's talk about this transition, not just from litigation, but antitrust litigation, which is like, you know, a very specific litigation to privacy and tech. What steps did you take? What was helpful for you to actually do your job? Antitrust is ultimately about consumer protection. And so is privacy. And so much of so is much of what an in-house counsel does, right? So really being, I think, very practical about understanding like the law from the point of view of a regulator, which is really to what is the best thing for consumers, um, whether it be in the antitrust context, ensuring that there's competition so that pricing is fair, or you know, when you move into a privacy world, ensuring that customers' information is protected. It's not being used or abused by companies. It's not being used in a way that's unexpected, right? So really thinking about your business from the point of view of the customer journey, which I think product people talk about a lot, right? So what I've really found is that there's a ton of alignment um, or there should be alignment if you haven't, you know, if, and you should build towards that as a legal career in your legal career, alignment between product and legal, because both of those teams care so much about the customer journey. Um, and that's a lot of what law is about, right? And in, in a business context is ensuring that customers are being treated fairly. That's a very interesting way of thinking. I like the way you articulate how, in how lawyers follow the customer journey. I, I have definitely found that I have a lot of affinity with product people. I tend to explain it because uh, we uh, we actually think very similar, very analytical people lead both functions. That's why they're good friends when, when it comes to, to uh, leading a company. But uh, your explanation makes a lot of sense. So thank you for sharing that. At some point, both you and I have, have made a decision to run away with a startup circus, you know, sometime after Visa. Tell us how you made that decision and why, and then how. Yeah, um, I think that, uh, so after I left Visa, I, I ended up at the Walt Disney Company, but I was supporting, I was supporting a mobile games company that they had just acquired. Um, and in so many ways, it was still a startup. Um, you know, we were, the first sort of legal counsel they'd had on site. Um, and, you know, they, they functioned as a startup. They were separately branded from Visa, uh, from Disney. Um, and that kind of gave me a taste of really like what it would be like, which is really like you're so much more embedded into the product um, and the vision and the strategy than you might be at a, a larger company. And at a larger company, so many of the operations and processes are already like, well-defined thought through um at a startup like it's all kind of happening for the first time for them um and and that's that's part of that really creative journey where lawyers you know in more traditional contexts don't get to be a part of that right like as i mentioned earlier like when you're a litigator you don't know how they got to this problem um but when especially at a startup like you you have a chance to either ensure that that problem never happens or 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 sometimes, you know, you, you don't, right? You have to be able to take that kind of risk. And so just being um, supporting Playdom, which was the acquisition, and then later a couple of other acquisitions they had really gave me, I think, kind of a, a taste for um, building, which is really a big part of an in-house counsel's life at a startup. Yeah, it's the building. I found that in, in my career, the actual litigation experiences have been helpful having done drafting, having done depositions and having had 30 trials had really helped me 
to be a, a good lawyer and frankly, a business professional and skills I use every day. So I'm just curious, what parts of uh, litigation you found to be helpful in the big company, but also at a startup? The biggest one is just being able to assess risk wisely, like figuring out like having a good gut sense of like what's likely to happen and what's likely not to happen. Um, and I do think that that is born of litigation. Um, you know, you having, you know, did, I was really fortunate in my time at Perella and at the California AG that I did get a significant amount of court experience despite being very junior. Um, but you, you know, once you, and I, I spent a year clerking as well. Um, and so that, that was very helpful, but you do get to see like kind of how the law is applied in action, like what the judges care about, what the jury might be caring about, what your opposing counsel is going to hone in on. I think it helps you sort of assess risk so that it's not so theoretical, you know, and I think most of the problems that, you know, in-house counsel face today is that yes, like, not everything is so black and white. Like you have to take risk sometimes and you have to figure out what's important and what's not important. I think going through litigation like helps you figure out what to care about um, because you just can't care about everything, right? And it, it gives you a little bit of an appetite for having a strong stomach. Like you, you have to have a very strong stomach because you can't get 100% right, um, but you also have to sleep at night. So I think that being a litigator just gives you just that that armor where later on you you can you can predict like one of my my cfos always asking well you know what's the outside baseball on that like what do you predict and you know i'll i'll say a number that i i think is reasonable and i you know luckily enough haven't you know i've been mostly right so that that to me is kind of the real value of litigation is is just being able to figure out what's going to happen and what's probably not going to happen yeah, the strong stomach, you definitely get yeah. that. Um, I think the other skill for me have been explaining to different audiences that may or may not share my background or passions. That's, you know, that's definitely a jury trial experience. And then, of course, judges are what judges are, and they vary across jurisdictions. And so having that experience helped, has helped quite a lot. You know, I want to talk to you about so much. Maybe I'll ask you one more question around fintech because, you know, you started at Visa, you went to Disney, but then, you know, you find your way to either what I would classify as fintech companies or uh, companies that may not be fintech, but have like a very strong uh, fintech component one way or another. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me what attracts you to this industry. You know, I think it's that you don't quite know what to do, right? Like I, you know, the companies that I supported and, you know, this is my third startup now. Um, there were, they were in spaces that were sort of like kind of regulated or like regulated adjacent and like, you know, regulators would think, well, I feel like I'm supposed to regulate that. But if I like, look at my, like, look at my law, like, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can but I want to, right? Or I want to, I'm interested in, this is something that I should be interested in. And so really it was that gray space that I'm always really interested in, um, you know, helping to kind of help educate regulators, which is a huge part of my job, right? Like, hey, like this is, this is what our company does. And maybe this is how you should think about how to regulate it. It's like, I'm actually not at all the type of, you know, person and my company is the, is the type of company that really says, hey, look, like, reasonable protections are important, right? Like consumers should know what to expect. We should have some standards um, and regulators should understand what the framework is. And so part of what I really have enjoyed about my various jobs and in, in what I think are sort of 
regulatory gray areas is being able to help educate and like define what the vision is. And so if you don't do it yourself, like someone else is going to do it for you. Um, and someone who doesn't know the industry as well as you is going to do it for you. Right. So being a storyteller and I think like chief salesperson for, um, my company, although I, I have no, I do nothing in terms of sales. There is nothing wrong with being yeah. a lawyer, being a salesperson. We can talk about that if you yeah, want. No, I think it's really important, right? Because you are in, especially in a pro-regulated products, like you're the person that typically does have to go out there and be that, like the person that, that is creating the story, the narrative for the product. Like I'm oftentimes, you know, quoted as anonymous spokesperson, right? When my company's talked about because... I have to tell the story. Um, and I think that is what is always like, I, I, I'm interested in that. And FinTech is, you know, FinTech, I think health tech, like those are areas where you really, um, you don't know what the law is or should be. So, but, so there's a lot of activity, right? And it's, it's hard because there's no real answer quite yet, but you're, you're part of that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a true value that a general counsel can bring. I call those legal products. You know, they're, they, as you said, they tend to be in fintech or, or, uh, health stack or, uh, even just, uh, targeting lawyers. Um, those are legal products and that's, or insurance, for example, is another one. Uh, they're, they are, yes, industries in and out of themselves, but law and regulators shape them in so many ways. And one little law or big law can really seal your fate. So it's an opportunity for, for the general counsel, for the office of general counsel to really add value. Um, in shaping the landscape and the business. Um, what skills do you find uh, you had to develop? Uh, because, you know, it, it's, it's a basically kind of GR role. Um, and having done that as well, uh, I've, I've learned quite a lot. It actually becomes quite exciting. And, and legal has a very different seat at the table when that function is valued, especially at a startup. What skills, um, you alluded to storytelling skills, We'd love to understand how you shape those skills, but maybe any other skills that you think uh, are helpful uh, for that uh, regulator conversation, GR, legal kind of adventure. Yeah, you know, I, I think the, one of the most important things that I have um, had to hone is patience, you know, really, um, because you're going in and you're explaining something that might be very obvious to you and might be very obvious to your, your customers. And honestly, is, you know, kind of, a passion project for your employees. Um, but you're going to go in and speak to regulators who explaining hard topics in a straightforward way. Um, and also really listening to their concerns and thinking about how to address it in a way that makes sense to them and gives them, I think, comfort. Making sure that you're, you have patience and listen, I think is just been for me the most helpful, important thing. I think taking just a kind of verbiage that is pretty, um, you know, niche, and then trying to uh, articulate that and, and make it sort of uh, available um, to people that, you know, don't think about things that way is really, really incredibly important. And I think finally, also just building out like a strategic sense of what's coming up around the corner, um, and being aware of, you know, both the federal, the state uh, company that's, you know, could be potentially um, regulated at by 50 states and the feds like you really think about federalism and like what, what about how it is. You're like you know i kind of just wish there was one law because it would just be easy, right? but you know states 
states um, have their place. I, I took a class in in public health school, which was called "State of the Laboratory of Democracy," and it seemed enchanting. And now I'm just like, oh my god! <laughs> right? like, Remember the federalism conversation in my head when I was playing the same role, uh, except the company I was in, we were global. Um, <laughs> and, and I was, you know, it started with a federalism conversation and it progressed to why is true glo globalization not here yet? <laughs> why? Because by the time you try to figure, I mean, I remember being at Visa and I thought this is where, you know, in, in the privacy context, you know, there was Europe, which is extraordinarily protective of privacy. And then there was like a couple of countries in Asia, which was like the opposite, like just turn everything over to us because we need to like, you know, find that, you know, uh, there were some terrorist allegations. And I'm like, how am I supposed to run a business that has two completely opposite pushes on it? Um, yeah, and, it's, it's hard in a big company, right? When you have resources, but in a small company where you have presence in every jurisdiction, um, that sometimes is a very scary place to be. You know, and banking laws differ so much from country to country. Well, I mean, I actually, I mean, I have a lot of admiration for larger banks because you think like, how the heck do they manage to, to put out such a global operation? It's hard. It's really hard. Um, and it, I think it takes a lot of operational muscle. Um, I think that's the other thing that is really like, as, as you talked about skills to be gained, like you have to be very operations focused as a GC, right? It's not, you're not really like, I don't even know the last time I like looked up what the law was on anything, right? I don't have Westlaw access. I don't, I mean, I, I know what I know, but like really the, the job is, is being able to scale it up, right? Like taking your team and figuring out how to make them do their job better. Um, I think Olga, you and I have talked about this a lot. Like, how do we make ourselves like look and sound more like the business? Um, what is like, what are our metrics? What are our OKRs? Like, how are we going to like show, like, we know that we add value, but like, how are we showing that? Right. Um, and that's, that's a big part of this job is really trying to think maybe less like a lawyer and more like an operations person. Yeah. Operations has been a very critical in every legal job I've had and I, I, I think that you can call lawyer many things anywhere between counsel to CEO. I think they're all legal <laughs> job one way or another and uh, and legal professionals are well equipped to lead them. Um, but operations is definitely the skill that I, I had to learn, continue learning and, and it's very um, it's mission critical uh, in every job I've had since I graduated from law school. But you transitioned to conversation of operations and I kind of want to talk a little bit more about what that means because one of the other things you have to think about as a general counsel is your team, right? It, you know, you, you yourself, you alone, you know, may be a good start, but it's definitely just a start uh, for, for uh, to really achieve that scale-up dream. I've had experiences where I, I inherited teams. There's a, a good thing there because there is at least some process. It may be not your legal dream process, uh, <laughs> but I've also had experiences where I had to build them from the ground up. I know you had as well. Do you have a preference and, and how do you go about, I call it building your legal dream? You know, my last two roles, it's been, I've been, you know, kind of like first and foremost, I come in and they're like, I'm the only one. And I'm like, there's definitely not enough for this. <laughs> like maybe like for like two weeks, I'm like, okay. Um, but you know, when you, when you have the luxury of building your own team, which I mean, and I, I say this because I don't minimize the challenges of recruiting. I, I know in 
this day and right now in particular recruiting is is difficult for every company um so you know valuing your employees is incredibly important but when you're you know you sort of if you if you spend some time designing thinking about what you want the legal department to accomplish um and then finding the people that can actually do that and bring the people in right like you're building that team piece by piece and hoping that the chemistry works and hoping that you're that they're going to work well together um but that you know that you have more control in that case. Um, and for me, I've done, I was building out three teams in my current role. I've built out a legal team, a compliance team, and a GR team. And I've been now finally close to now coming upon two years. I've finally, I have leaders for each of those teams. They don't need me so much anymore. And I'm like the least important person. And that's actually the goal, right? Like you want to get to a point where you've done such a, a good job with the team that the company needs them almost more than they need you. Like you have the operations set up and you have the processes set up so it's it's running well um and you're really and you're just sort of there I, my uh my old boss is now uh, he was the general counsel at oculus over at facebook and you know he that was his talent and i i have done that at a much 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 smaller scale but that's what i aspire for is that really if you've done it right you know, you're, you're the least important person and that's, that's okay, actually. Right. And you're there to kind of celebrate their wins and help them grow. Um, and that's, I think the fun part of a team, I think when you take over a team, then, you know, you, how you spend that time building that trust, right? Like they didn't come for you. Um, whereas hopefully when you recruited them, recruited them yourself, um, they're coming because they want to work with you when you come in and you've inherited a team, you have to build that trust with them. And I think that can that can take longer. Um, and you have to put a, a lot of effort into that. Um, well worth it would be when you do it. But I think that probably the first six months is just spent in, in terms of building trust. Yeah, Work, working yourself out of your job is definitely a thing in startups. And, and, and I agree that that's, it's, um, I think, one way to think of it is uh, as you know, losing parts of you. The other way to think about it is I think you have a very healthy way of thinking about one, you can celebrate wins of others, which I think is immensely satisfying as a leader. Uh, and two, it gives you opportunity as you grow as a company to focus on problems that are more impactful um, and really direct your attention to kind of uh, operations and, and growth. You alluded to something uh, about aligning with the business, and we've had a number of conversations of how to make sure you're on the same page. And I love the way you think about it. You have a very enlightened approach about KPIs and kind of how you think about it. Um, would love for you to share how, um, you know, not only do you build the team, but how you align yourself with the business to help it to scale up and make legal work which is often behind the scenes, visible and appreciated. I think the first thing is really like spend the time to provide a lot of context, right? Like you can do that via training, but I think that can be, you know, that that doesn't really bring it to life. And so typically like when I've had, um, when I'm working with product teams, like I'll spend like with every new team, every new product, every new feature, like I, I go to those meetings up in the beginning because they want to set the tone, but I want to make sure that they understand the why of it. Um, and I want to, in like every instance, like figure out what they care about and then, and then help and then put kind of our legal concerns and our legal guidance in the context of that. So I read a ton of our user research, right? Because I was telling them, I'm like, look, look, if your, if your users, if our customers are confused about something, that means like, that's your problem. And that's my problem too, right? Like that's, that's a, that's a UDAP concern right there and then, then and there. And so 
finding like every way to basically have them kind of take legal principles and like build it as part of design, I think is really important. Um, and figuring out what, what they care about and saying, hey, that's what I care about too, right? And then when you find enough areas of alignment where they're like, look, this is a person that we're, we're worried about the same stuff, we're gonna solve for the same problems, then when you have your sort of like random, you know, concerns that they may not care about, right? Like you've built a lot of trust. So I think that's kind of one thing about it is just really, really spending time with your product team and understanding what they care about and then make ensuring that they believe they, they care about what you care about. And then the second thing on operations is like and, and visibility is really like and I it sounds pretty basic, is but you know, every company has got they got their dashboards, right? And like execs are like always looking at these dashboards. Um you got to build yourself dashboards, <laughs> like figure out what it is that they might care about and then, and put something up there. Right. So that there's something that there's something visible that like people can come in and look at and say, Hey, here's kind of like a compilation or a summary of what's happening in legal. It's not going to in any, you know, likely capture every single thing that you're doing, but you want to be able to, to take what you're working on and be able to summarize it in a way that shows that shows relevance. And actually, my CEO, I think, is really good at this. He gave me a really good idea, I thought, which was around contracts. He's like, let's let's talk. Let's figure out in what instances like our contracts protected us. Right. Like we had a dispute with a vendor. We had an issue and we looked at the contract and the contract actually had something that was helpful to us. Right. And like, but that's a win. Right. That means that shows that the time spent negotiating that deal was super valuable. Um, and, you know, it takes some work, but, you know, I use Parley Pro and you give you have a lot of reporting and tagging you can do in that. And so we now go through and try to find, you know, tag certain fields. And if there's like a some you know, dispute that comes up, you know, not even at the level of a legal dispute, but just kind of back and forth and the contract has something in there that's really good for us. We actually show that as a win, right? Hey, look, the legal team did this for you. Um, and so I think trying to find those wins, like showing where you helped de-risk the company and then and figuring out a metric around it is really interesting and, and, and really valuable, uh, almost more so than like how quickly I close the contract. Cause that's, you know, in large part, not really in your hands, right? Like you got your business, you got the vendor, you, you know, your partner, like there's a lot of pieces in that where really it's hard to own. For me, I think it's hard to own that metric because it's not just under control, but I think that there are, you want to show kind of where your legal intelligence came out um, and how you protected the company that way. Oh, I love that. I, I, I agree. The turnaround, not only does it not kind of capture what's in your control, but it also doesn't show like the, 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 the like it, it shows such a small fraction of legal value. Right. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it suggests that the value of brain is doing quick, you know, responsing, right? Um, but, we, we, you know, I think, you know, when you run a legal department, so much more than that, hard to articulate. I like how creatively you, uh, I mean, thank you for using Parler Pro. But <laughs> in addition, thank you for the shout out. Uh, but, but I actually think it's very clever how you actually sort of tag wins and report on wins and, uh, and define wins in the context of your company, especially when the product is so legal. I think it's it's definitely a, a very creative way of uh, of thinking about the value um, in house lawyers bring, um, and uh, and 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 most importantly that you have open conversation with the CEO about it, uh, because I think the tone from the top, especially from the CEO, very much 
influences how how legal viewed i mean at least that, that has been my experience what about you oh definitely i mean I, i'm in a you know regulated industry and so i think um you know ceos in that context like hopefully recognize that the value of legal and they first figure it out when they their outside council bills are just so enormous that they're like we need someone to bring it come in and manage it so the first one you can always bring is just you cut the bills in half right like that that's it that's an easy one um but yeah, I am really lucky in that sense because I think the CEOs I've worked for really have understood what legal can do. And it's just beyond contracting, right? It's like giving good advice. It's basically, you know, providing a being a sounding board. It's gut checking on, you know, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And I think especially in, in this time of pandemic and office closures and how to reopen safely, right? Like just helping think through like what is easy um, for the company to do and like what, where we should be focusing. Um, and also I think people come talk to legal, you know, like confidentially about issues that they're having. And so like, as a lawyer, you can be a really good um, conduit for communicating back morale issues, right? Morale or sense employee sentiment people really care about. Um, and, you know, at, at an anonymous level, if, if as necessary, and so I think that is just a, a big part of it is you're not, you know, it's so much more than contracts is incredibly important, right? I mean, we, those are the areas where you can just generate huge cost savings when done correctly and risk savings, but you also then take that information and help the company operationalize better and be more strategic. I want to ask a, qu a question around trust. I think it's sort of an ongoing process of, of building trust, being there for people. I like how you starting uh, with product and how you proactively teaching people to what trust means and how you can be helpful before things um, blow up and not quite go in the right direction. I'm just curious how you, uh, you know, systematically think through this of building relationship of trust, both kind of with peers below and above. What is your process of thinking about it? I think part of it is like, and maybe it's just because I'm in my late 40s now, like I just have like a little bit less of a filter. Like I'm, I'm less worried about like, just being who I am. Like, I'm just, I'm just gonna do it, right? I like, you know, especially as a lawyer, I had to spend so much the first part of my career, I felt like I had to be so serious, um, just to, you know, get gain credibility. And now I'm like, you know, in some instances, the least serious person in the room. And then part of that, I think it's just to build out bond, right, of approachability. Like, this is a person who understands my problems and, like, can laugh about it. Like, when you're a startup, man, like, people are going to make mistakes. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes that, like, are really, really not great. Um, and most people, you know, I, I really believe in assumed best intent. Um so I think that if you have, you have to be approachable because you want them to come to you and tell you, Hey, I totally screwed up this thing. And, um, I need you to help me fix it. Right. I think if you're scary and if you send out like a, either a vibe or like you create a cult, legal culture of, of this is a team that's going to be harsh with you, then nobody is going to come talk to you because they are going to be scared. And like, I think the best advice I ever got from one of my CEOs is like, Hey, when you set a meeting, people run to that meeting. They're scared of you. And I thought, well, I don't want them to be scared of me. I, mean, I want them to be scared of me when I need to be scared of me. But I also want them to be comfortable coming to me because telling me earlier in the problem is a lot better than telling me a lot later. So um, I I think part of that is just making sure you're approachable and whatever, you know, and, and whatever way your personality that works for your personality. 
I just love listening to. There's a reason why we're friends every time. I, 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 to be clear, I always. <laughs> <laughs> an amazing person with a great perspective and even in quote-unquote your serious days i always thought you were quite fun oh, uh, i may have a skilled definition of fun but hey <laughs> there you have it you have one true fan for sure so Gira, this has been great and as always i learned quite a lot from you uh, maybe one parting thought about kind of you know either building teams or navigating your career or maybe all of the above so I will say two things. One is, I will repeat this, like assume best intent of everyone around you. I think that's not just for your career, but in life, um, it will it will endear you to people and, and make life so much easier. And I think the second one is just be open to every possibility. It might not have been the career that you thought you were going to have, but it might be way better. Um, so approach every opportunity and, and listen, because I think uh, you never, you just don't know what's going to happen. And it can be very prescribed or it can be just an amazing journey if, if you let it be. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love the, I assume the best intent. That's that's a really good advice. And Sangeeta, thank you so much. Have a great week. Bye, everyone.